Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Tracy, and some of you are like, wow, she's crazy already. Um, I am one of the pastors here, and it's such an honor I get to preach this morning. We've been in this Thoughts and Things series. How many of you have been enjoying um, this series? Probably, uh, yeah, let's give Pastor Chris a a hand. What a phenomenal uh, series that we've been in. I, I love all of our sermon series here. I love listening to my brother preach. Um, I would listen to him all day, every day if I could. Um, I actually can. He's my brother. I could, I guess. Um, but we take it in pieces because uh, <laughs> only I can take. So I, I, He's so sweet. He thinks I understand when he talks to me. And I want to. I, and I pretend. Um, I get smarter every time I talk to him. Uh, he's a brilliant mind, loves the world, loves Jesus, loves you. Um, and loves this community so much. We are so blessed and so honored. And I just, I mean, I think it's so great that we have podcasts. So when you, it's, it's not its not good enough anymore. Have you felt, you feel this? You can't just come to church and listen to the message one time. It's just not enough. Um, and I'm so grateful for podcasts for um, now, nowadays it's like so uh, easy and efficient. You just get it right on your phone. You don't even have to go to a computer at your desk, you know. It's like we have it at our phone, like in our hand at all times. You can put your little air, what are those things called? AirPods, yeah, you, I don't have those, um, but that would be awesome. I have just, the, I still have the cord, you know, I don't know. Um, I feel like it's not broke, so don't fix it, and the other ones are expensive, so, oh well. Um, but you could put your little AirPods in, you could walk around, and you could listen to the message over and over and over again, which I think you should, should. Ro- Roman says this, faith comes by hearing, and hearing, and hearing, and hearing the word of God, and so I don't think just one time hearing a message is enough. Um, I typically come to multiple services and I take notes every single time because I get something different each service. And then I go and listen to the podcast of our pastor later in the week because I already forgot on Tuesday how good Sunday was. Isn't that the human condition? Jesus help us. Um, We have a short-term memory, but God is so faithful, isn't he? So we're going to continue this Thoughts and Things series. Last week was awesome. He was talking about comparison, who needed it. No, not very many people. You're still comparing yourself. All right, well, the podcast is available um, immediately after the service. You can go listen to it. Uh, no, comparison he talked about, and I love this. He's giving, he's, he's, he's shaming or he's exposing the lie that many of us face for many years of our lives, but then he offers us the truth. And last week we talked about, we heard that the lie that many of us have probably bought into, believed, lived, um, recited, um, was and is that you are what you achieve. And how many of you grow up in, it's the American kind of like way of living and the American way of life, which is to be, you are what you achieve. So work hard, sucker, and you will be worth something. And if you don't work hard and if you're not achieving anything like everybody else is around you, then you are worthless, right? I mean, that's essentially the lie that we buy into and that we've lived with. But what's the truth? The truth is this, and Pastor Chris brilliantly spoke it last week. The truth is this, you are loved by God period, end of story, no other argument, fight me if you want, but the truth of God's word is better than your argument, and God loves you, and you are loved by God, and you are set in God, your future is set in God, your identity is set in God, all you need is God, 
And so what an amazing message that we have last week. So then this week, we're going to build upon this Thoughts and Things series, and we're going we're gonna to address and we're going to confront and expose another lie that many of us probably have maybe believed or lived or, um, or walked and like truly just live our everyday life believing um, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna expose it through the truth of God's word. But the lie is this, if you want to write it down or if you're interested or um, if not, you can just stare at me either way. You can stare at me in my jumpsuit that I'm going to get out. After this, I'm apparently going to jump out of a plane or something. I don't know. Um, oh, some people's comments after the 9 a.m. I'm like, or it's fashionable. Um, <laughs> either one. Um, but if I was going to jump out of the plane, I'd be looking cool. Um, so the lie this week is, um, you are your past. Have you ever heard that lie? Have you ever believed that lie? Have you lived any part of your life with that lie that you are your past? Guess what, church? Guess what, community? Guess what, believers that follow Jesus? The truth is this. You are actually, in fact, your future. That is the truth. The lie will tell you you are your past, you are that thing, you're that mess up, you're that sin, you're that stuff that happened to you or that stuff that you caused to happen in your life. But the truth, thank you, Jesus, is this, you are your future. And better said, you are God's future. You're God's future. And God, God's just good, and God's in charge, and he's the king of the world. So if you're God's future, you're in good hands, and you have a good future set in Jesus. So are you ready to go in thoughts and things part? I don't even know, but I wish this series would never end. Anybody with me? All right, let's go to Luke chapter 8. We're going to read a few verses in Scripture. Who loves the Bible? The, the only, I love this church so much. I love it, I love it, I love it. I love every part of our church. I love our worship. I love our community. I love our small groups. I love our events. I love everything. I love our preaching. I love it. But you know what I love the most? How much we love the Bible. Which is really the, the heartbeat of Pastor Ken and Connie who started this church and Pastors Chris and Kelly who are the great, greatest lead pastors of all time who are leading us in that charge of, you, you want to you wanna live a good life? Love your Bible. Love your Bible. We are so blessed in this church, aren't we? Can we just give some honor to pastors Chris and Kelly for being such amazing pastors? <laughs> Kelly's sitting on the front row with one baby. She's got others around her, and she's, she honestly is she's a superhero. Pastor Chris is a good preacher, but he couldn't be without Kelly. So <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't raise five kids. Oh, Lord. Okay, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Um, now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus. This is, this is an interesting part of this text. We'll get back to it. But if you like to highlight, if you like to circle in your Bible, if you like to press the little click on your U version and highlight it, this is one to highlight. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Jesus is the best. When all denied it, Peter said, everyone denied it. No one's going to admit. Jesus is probably yelling, who touched me? And everyone's afraid. You know, I, I mean, they press up all around him. Everybody's touching Jesus. Peter said, master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I get that, Peter. Captain Obvious. You're a little annoying right now. <laughs> Thanks, champ. 
not what I'm saying. <laughs> that's how Jesus talks to me every day. Um, so that's why I say it like that. Because I'm like, no, Lord, no, Lord. And he's like, oh, sweetheart, stop. But Jesus said, someone touched me. So you're laughing because you feel it too. I know. But Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, when she, was, when she saw she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and, when, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, love this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Remember, Jesus was on a mission to go heal Jairus' daughter. And in the middle of his mission, he stops to heal somebody else. How good is Jesus? How good is Jesus? But when Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning because she died. Jesus, like, like, like neglected his mission. And um, this girl was dying. Now she's dead. Um, Jesus is fine. He's like, I, you guys, I, I'm good. I'm Jesus. I can heal her. There's no, don't worry about it. And, and we all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep for her. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. God is good. He's like, you are dead. You just need food, baby girl. <laughs> Give the girl some food. She needed a nap and some food. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Come on, half of our problems are you need a nap and you need some food. That has nothing to do with my message, but that just blessed me. Because right now I want a nap and some food. Just kidding, I'm good. All right, would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what, you do, what you've done, and we thank you for what you're going to continue to do in and through our lives. Lord, let your word breathe today. Let it speak. Let it transform our lives. Lord, we're here for you and only you. Lord, just as we sang this morning, you deserve all the glory. You deserve all the praise. You deserve all of our attention. You deserve all our adoration. Lord, it's just, it's just about you. It's always been about you. It will forever and always be about you, Jesus. So I pray that your word, your living word, that it's living and active would, would go and it would breathe in our spirit. It would speak to us so individually. God, I thank you. You're going to anoint me to speak what you want me to speak. But God, more than that, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you so tailor every word to our hearts. Whatever you want to say, say. Whatever you want to do, do. However you want to move today, you move. Because Jesus, it's about you. It's your service. This church is your idea. Community is your idea. And we love you, Jesus, and we're thankful for this time and this message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had an embarrassing moment before? Like, one, like maybe I should let me rewind. We've all had embarrassing moments. Have you ever had um, a really embarrassing moment or humiliating moment that you would like to forget? That you don't talk about, Right? And um, it's, it's not shared, it's not expressed. It is something that is in the recesses of your mind and it will stay there, you know, until your last breath. People won't talk about it, people won't know about it. Just you in that moment will have a special bond that you don't want to ever rehearse or remember, right? Come on, that's like humiliating. We're talking, I know, yeah, there's sometimes where you do something that's sort of embarrassing and you laugh, but there are, there's another level, right? Where it's like, you never wanna remember this moment. The, the, the marker, I think, for me that you've gotten over a humiliation or an embarrassing moment is when you can talk about it. 
Am I right? Like, summer's around the corner, thank you, Jesus. As soon as these April showers would cease because, dear Jesus, nothing good happens in rain. I think that's for other cities, not Boise. You can move to Seattle if you like that moody, depressing rain. I don't get it. I think it's, it, it's not of the Lord. Um, sprinklers can bring May, May, shower, or May flowers just as much as showers, okay? That's why, we, that's why someone invented sprinklers and a hose. We don't need rain, Lord. Just kidding. We probably do. Um, uh, but I forgot what I was talking about because I'm so mad about the rain, apparently. But uh, there, there, there's something to be said of a humiliating moment. The only way you know you get over it is when you sit around a summer barbecue or you're about to do some s'mores around a fire because that sounds fun right now in the summer um, that's approaching. Um, clearly, I don't like spring. Apparently, I don't know. It's just coming up right now. I'll deal with it later. Um, it's because my hair, guys, it makes my hair go crazy. Um, so you know you've gotten over the humiliation when you can tell the story to your friends. You know what I'm talking about? You're having a dinner party, you're hanging out with your friends, and you're just like shooting the breeze, and one person tells a funny story, and you're like, I got one too. Here we go. Like, and you share the story. When you can name it, you know you're over it. If, you, if you're sitting there, and someone's telling an embarrassing, humiliating story, and you're sitting there silent with your story that you know will trump all stories, you're not trying to be a one-upper, you're just trying to get it out, you know? You just want to deal with it. You know you've dealt with it, and you know you're free from it when you can talk about it. I'll never forget one of the worst stories of my life, and I never wanted to remember it, but clearly I'm over it because I'm going to share it with you. Um, it was a few years ago. I was at a wedding. I was silently judging the ring bearer as I'm sitting in the congregation of the wedding because he was one of those ring bearers that was just, like, awful. And he's, like, playing with the dresses of the bridesmaid. He's pulling on the veil of the, the bride. And no one's doing anything about it. And I'm sitting there going, someone get the kid. Like, whose parent? Who's parents? Like, who, like seriously, what, what parent would raise a child like that? Like, I'm silently judging. You know, I'm that person because I don't have kids, so I can do that apparently. Um, and uh, uh, we had to get up as soon as my cousin, I'm with my cousin at the wedding. She's like, we got to leave. So we had to leave a little early. So we get up, we leave. And um, she gets stopped in the foyer of the, or the lobby of the church. And so she's talking for a moment. I'm looking this way, and she's just kind of talking. And then she's like, okay, let's go. And I start moving before I know where I'm going. Have you ever done that? Have you ever started walking and you weren't paying attention? Well, a little sweetheart ring bear, unbeknownst to me, had come busting through the doors. And I'm looking this way, and I'm walking, and little sweetheart ring boy, ring bear boy comes <laughs> charging through, trips me. And I do somersaults in that lobby for more times than I'd like to in a dress, move on. Um, and I come as, uh, it was probably one somersault, but in my mind it was 30. And by the time gravity has stopped me and I'm able to come up, the entire wedding party is right there watching me as I have fallen. And it certainly wasn't graceful. And then I just see that little sweetheart running around and I'm like, oh, that's what you get for judging a young child. I remember watching my cousin bust up laughing, and she could not stop laughing, and she gets in, we get in the car, and she wants to rehearse it. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, it wasn't that funny, Chelsea. Like, move on. Like, uh, funnier things can happen. And she's like, oh, my gosh. Like, remember? And then that happened. I'm like, stop. We get home, and then her, her husband's there, and she wants to tell him the story, and he's laughing. And, the, and then she's like, Tracy, tell that one part. I'm like, no. 
I don't want to talk about it. It's humiliating, right? And I wanted to spend the rest of my life never remembering that story. The worst part about that story was like a year later, I ran into the newlywed couple and I just pretended like nothing happened, you know? I was just like, hey, good to see you. Your wedding was awesome. And I just like ran away as, as quickly as possible. But the moment you can finally talk about a humiliation is the moment you know that you're free from it. The reality is this. In shame, this is the lie that we on, uh, uh, used, or I can't even talk. The lie that we typically buy into or live or believe is that we are our past. That's what shame tries to tell you. What happens in truth is that the moment you name your shame is when you get to step into truth, which is you are your future. But you have to name it. See, the thing that shame will try to do is, doesn't shame do this? You're the only one. You're the only one that's experienced this. That thing that you've encountered, that thing, you're, you can't get over it. No one will get over it. That's just something that you're just going to have to live with it. You're going to have to deal with it, and that's just who you are. See, shame actually tries to tell you who you are, and it leads you to believe that's who you are, and it's not. Shame tries to give you the wrong identity. Jesus comes to give you your right identity, the correct identity, which is in him. Now, we have this story in Luke chapter 8, the woman with the issue of blood. Um, it's a fascinating story. It really is. It's in the Synoptic Gospels, um, and we see it. It, it, it's, a, it's powerful. The whole text is powerful. I read it, the whole context of scripture on purpose because a lot of times we read parts of it and we get like just a good feel. Remember Pastor Chris talked about we like these quick fixes when we read the Bible. You can't read the Bible like that. You have to see the whole context. Jesus stops his mission to heal one person to heal another. Does that make her more powerful or more important than the other? Not necessarily, but it, there's, there's a lot of meaning in here. Jairus, we know a lot about Jairus. We know his name. We know his title. We know his role. He's a ruler of the synagogue. We know nothing about the woman with the issue of blood except for her issues. That's all we know about her. She has no identity. She's probably living her life as subhuman without full identity of who she is. And so Jesus makes a really good, important stop in his mission. He delays his mission to heal a young girl, to heal a woman with the issue of blood. Now, a woman with the issue of blood would be my, our embarrassing moments could never, they pale in comparison to what the woman with the issue of blood would have dealt with on a daily basis in the ancient world. Now, we think, yeah, I mean, that'd be awful or it's, it's, it's awful to have an illness. What we know about the woman with the issue of blood is that she has spent all her money, every dime she has, Every penny that she could find to rub together, she has wasted and she has used to try to, to, try to get healthy, and nothing has worked. Have you ever had a sickness or a, a mysterious illness, and you've gone from one doctor to a specialist, then you go to a homeopathic doctor, and then you're at co-op in the health food section trying to figure out, you're like self-diagnosing yourself on WebMD. Oh, no one else does that, just me? Interesting. Um, and so, and I'm like getting all this stuff, and it makes me feel worse because you probably should have asked a doctor, but it's, I'll, I'll learn one day. And then you're going and you're, you're trying to figure out what's wrong only to keep being discouraged because it never gets better. So first of all, let's just deal with the discouragement that this woman was living in. Forget the shame for a moment. We'll get there. But just imagine how defeated she must feel. She has spent everything she has for 12 years and it's not getting better. It's one thing if you have an illness and you're starting to get better. You know, there's like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Have you ever had that? Or there's a bad situation and you're starting to make changes and adjustments and there's a light. She doesn't have a light at the end of the, uh, uh, the, end of the tunnel. She's just hopeless. 
And so she spent all her money. Now, if you know anything about the ancient world, if you know anything about the Jewish culture, according to Leviticus 15, she was, by nature, because of her illness with discharge of blood, she was ceremonially unclean. So what this means, well, it means a lot. It means she has no contact, really, with the outside world. If she was unmarried, she would not be able to get married. If she was married, it was, a, it was grounds for a divorce. If she was a part of a family, the family would have kicked her out to be on her own. She was ostracized from community. She was completely isolated. She would have no friends. She would have no ability to, like, go to the temple to worship. She couldn't go in and just, you know, be a part of a small group or hang out with friends or be a part of a community. She couldn't even be in community. She was isolated. She was separated. If she went out into public, like I said, she had to go, I mean, she had to eat. So she'd have to go to the marketplace and get food. When she left her house and other people were coming close to her, and if she was going to be even close to a crowd, she would have to walk outside. And as she's approaching people, she'd have to shout, unclean. Don't get near me. No, don't, don't. Unclean. No, you can't get near me. Sorry, sorry. This is embarrassing. Unclean. Can you imagine how humiliating. I mean, my God, she didn't have Uber Eats, so she'd have to leave her house. Amazon Prime was not a thing yet, and they didn't deliver on Sundays. Now they do, praise the Lord, but you should be at church, so it doesn't matter. But she had to leave her house at some points, but every time she did, it was humiliating because she'd have to announce to everyone that she was ostracized, and she was cut out of community, and she was isolated from everyone. That's humiliation. That's some shame. That's some pain that this woman with the issue of blood is experiencing as she's trying to get free and to be healed. There was actually, in fact, even if she got near a community or a crowd and she touched someone, there was a law that would say that she could be stoned to death if she did touch someone and they became unclean. So imagine that shame. Imagine that pain. This is what we see in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 8. She is the woman with the issue of blood. Now, this is what's interesting. All the synoptic gospels has the story. All Matthew, Mark, and Luke all share the story, and that's all we know about her. She's the woman with the issue of blood. She's given no identity. Remember, Jairus, we know his name. We know his title. We know his role. We know he has a 12-year-old daughter. It's his only daughter. We know a lot about Jairus. All we know is that there's this woman. She has no name, no identity. She's nameless. She's hopeless. She spent all her money. And here she is, defeated. But something rises up in here. This is fascinating. In the midst of her shame, she had to have heard about Jesus and the power that was coming from Jesus as he's going around and he's preaching and he's teaching and then he's healing people. So something rose, some courage rose up in her to get to the crowd. Well, imagine, based on what I just said, for her to get in that crowd, she was subjecting herself, she was, she was causing herself to be in a situation where she could actually be stoned to death. She could be stoned to death. If someone saw her, now imagine in the crowd, they would have been like, wait, that's the, that's the woman that was shouting unclean. Like, she's, she's that isolate. What is she doing outside? Why is she near people? She was giving everything to get a healing. Talk about some courage. In the midst of her shame, but this nameless hopeless, defeated woman fights through the crowd to get to Jesus. Now, that, that, that's, some, that, that's some courage. That takes some courage, doesn't it? Some, we, we're, we get uncomfortable when we got to come to the altar. 
This woman fights through a crowd where she shouldn't have been to get a healing from Jesus. But what's interesting is her faith caused her to go to Jesus, but it's her shame that causes her to sneak behind Jesus. The text says this in Luke chapter 8. It says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she came up behind him, behind Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Now, scholars will say, it, I, I love this, it's fascinating. Scholars will say she actually stole her healing. She sneaks behind Jesus. She's too shameful to come face to face with him. She doesn't ask Peter and James and John, like, hey, can I just have a conversation with him really quickly? Could I talk to you? She, no, no, no. She's, she's, she's just going to get through that crowd that no one can see her. She's probably covered her head. She's probably making sure no one recognizes her. And she just sneaks in the crowd. She's touching this person, rubbing up against that person. She's making everyone in the, in the whole crowd ceremonially unclean. She just wants to get in there, get a healing, and get out. That's her goal. She's going to get her healing because she believes in Jesus, and then she's going to bounce. Scholars say she wants to steal her healing. And then this is how good Jesus is. This is how good our Jesus is. He goes, stop, who touched me? Jesus knows who touched him. He's Jesus. He knows the woman. Just got healed. And you know what she's going to do? She's going to sneak out of that crowd and she's going to go right back into her prison of shame. Unless Jesus calls her out. And she has to name the thing that has had her identity and it stole her identity and it's been captivating her and it's been telling her a lie for all her life that she is nobody, she is useless, she is hopeless. This is who she is and who she always will be. And Jesus says, your healing is not enough. Jesus didn't go to the cross just so you could be saved and just so you can be healed. Guess what he did? So you can be whole. So that everything that is true of Jesus gets to be true of you and Jesus is full of goodness and abundance and mercy and all you need is in Jesus. So Jesus goes, yeah, I'm glad you stole your healing. That's cute. But I'm going to give you more than that. Now, we heard, we've heard a lot of messages, and they're always good, about, you know, touching the hem of his garment, right? You've heard a message on that, and they're articulate, and they're beautiful, and they're wonderful. The problem is that is not the end of the story. And I know, the, I, know, I know the significance, like to touch the hem of, of a rabbi's prayer shawl. That's, that's what the hem was. It was the prayer shawl of a rabbi. There was, it, it represented anointing and strength and power. So that was significant that that's the thing she touched. There's, there's no question. I'm not, I'm not trying to refute that or, del, or, or belittle that in, in, in any way. But that's not the end of the story. I've heard so many messages that go, okay, now come up for your healing. Now just touch the hem of his garment. Jesus wasn't satisfied with just a healing. Healing's easy. The Bible says healing is like the children's bread. It's easy for Jesus. You want healed? I'll heal you. Jesus wants to do so much more than just heal you. He wants to make you whole. And so here's this woman who touches the hem of his garment. Jesus stops. And he doesn't stop to embarrass her or humiliate her. He knows how much humiliation she's endured. He's not trying to add on insult to insult, you know? Is that the phrase? Insult to injury. It didn't sound right, but we were going to go with it. He's not trying to add on to the weight of her, her humiliation. He's trying to free her. He's trying to release her from that prison and that, that, that prison of shame. Because what does shame do? Doesn't it cause you to hide? Have you seen this great commercial during March Madness? Not that I care anymore because Duke and Zion are out, so it's basically dead to me. Um, 
Like I watched the games last night. Who cares? I'm glad Michigan State lost though because they beat Duke. Um, but but there's just been this great commercial, one of the Google commercials uh, during the March Madness. And I'm sure it's on TV the rest of the time. I just don't watch TV that much, but March Madness. And there's the dog that eats all the treats. Have you seen this one? It's the Google one. You can look it up. It's cute. And he's eat all the treats and his owner goes and you see, all you see is this dog like this. It's like a golden retriever. Uh, it's the best commercial ever. And he has his head down like this against a dresser. And the owner's like, Max, I don't know if that's his name, but it works. Um, Max, did you eat all the treats? And the dog is just like hiding in his shame, you know? Like he knows what he did was wrong. It's the human condition or the dog condition. But it's our default. When we feel shame, we hide. So guess what we do? We run away from community. I, I guarantee you, if you had a bad week and uh, you did something crazy, or you, you and your wife are fighting, or you, know, you looked at something you shouldn't have, or you keep falling into these bad habits, guess what you woke up this morning with? A little bit, <clears throat> my throat kind of hurts. Like, oh, maybe, not, maybe I'll just stay home today. Really, does your throat hurt? Are you afraid to go to community? Or do, or do you naturally want to just isolate? Because shame motivates hiding. That's what it likes to do. It's good at it. It's tricky and powerful and conniving, and it's good at making you hide. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that if you get healed physically or spiritually, emotionally, those are good things. And if you find Jesus, and today could be your day, friend, that you meet Jesus for the very first time, and that is awesome. But Jesus won't stop there because he wants you to be whole. And he wants you to be released from the prison of shame. So Jesus is not okay with just her stealing or healing. Because what would have happened if she would have just got her healing and then bounced? She would have walked right back into her hole, her prison of shame. She was basically living in solitary confinement for 12 years. She had placed, her shame had placed her in solitary confinement. She didn't have access or the ability to have community, relationships. She couldn't go just naturally walk into a coffee shop. They didn't have those, but go with me. You do now, so I'm trying to relate to your world. Um, he, she couldn't just go out and do whatever she wanted and be a part of community and church. She couldn't even go worship in the synagogue. She couldn't be a part of building God's kingdom in his house. That's not God's design. Jesus didn't go to the cross so you could still have shame. He went to the cross to eradicate your shame. And yet we have created prison cells. Now, if you know anything about solitary confinement, I hope you don't. Apparently, it looks like I'm like maybe in prison right now in my jumpsuit. Mark Thorne, I made that joke in the 9 a.m. And Mark Thorne goes, they don't look that cool. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> I love him. Uh, but if you know anything about solitary confinement, what it does psychologically is somewhat, it's quite damaging. And many, many psychologists will say, and neuroscience scientists will say, it's, irre, it's irreversible damage. Because we were not created, we're social beings. We were not created to be isolated for long periods of time. So they'll say that it is, um, solitary confinement is the worst psychological torture you can do to a human being. There's nothing worse. In fact, many people would say, I'd take pain, physical pain, over the psychological torture of solitary confinement. I mean, imagine a, a, a cell, if you, were in, if you were in strict solitary confinement in a prison system, it would be, some cells would be the size of a bathroom stall. It'd be have fluorescent lights, which for some of the younger generation who like to take selfies would be the worst prison of all their lives. 
<laughs> Thank you. 9 a.m. didn't laugh at all. So I appreciate it, 11. <laughs> They're like, huh? Um, you'd live in this prison cell, fluorescent lights. 23 hours a day, you would be alone in that. You'd get maybe one hour that you'd get a walk around or get some fresh air, but not with any other person. Your meals would be handed right through into the cell, but you'd spend your days, weeks, maybe months, some people years in solitary confinement. The problem with this for the human brain is that it does cause the mind and identity, psychologists say, in neuroscience. It causes your mind and your identity to decay. Eventually, you will forget who you are. Eventually, your mind will not be able to repair itself. You were not created for shame. You weren't. You weren't. You were not created for it. It tries to tell you who you are, and you tend to believe it, but it's not who you are. Human beings are social creatures. Why do you think God made community? Why do you think God made church? Because you were made to be a part of community, not to be isolated. But the thing we tend to do the moment we feel shame is to remove ourselves from the people we need most. Jesus knows it. So here he is, not calling her out to shame her or to embarrass her or to humiliate her. He calls her out to free her. That's how much Jesus loves us, is that he's not satisfied with partial healing or partial wholeness. There's no such thing as partial wholeness. There's just wholeness. And that's what Jesus is after. And that's what Jesus has gone to the cross to do. But her shame is going to motivate her to run. It's going to motivate her to hide. But Jesus, being how good Jesus is, calls her out of her hiding. Now, imagine with me how awful this would be. She's already dealt with so much humiliation and embarrassment. And she got healed. She's like, I'm good. Let's go. Like, she's been trying for 12 long years to get rid of this issue. And Jesus calls her out. And how embarrassing, in, the, in verse 47 says this, chapter 8, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she couldn't hide anymore. She couldn't hide anymore. It was exposed. It was out there. Jesus caught her. She couldn't sneak and steal her healing. She came trembling when she discovered that she was no longer hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people, why she had touched him. You know what she did? She named her shame in front of the crowd. And she's sitting there going, well, I got healed from a discharge of blood. Sorry about touching you. And I definitely think I touched you. Sorry I fell on you. You can kill me if you want. You can stone me to death. But I'm healed. You know the faith and courage it took? But Jesus freed her. And the moment she names it, that's not even the end of the story. The moment she names it, guess what the next verse says? Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, whoo. All the synoptic gospels up until this point, they only say she's the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her name. She has no identity. She has no title, nothing. And in that moment, Jesus says, you're not your past daughter, you are my future. He says, daughter, your sin or your faith has made you well. Go in, go in peace. 
He calls her by her real identity. This nameless, hopeless woman who had no identity, no future, in one moment, by naming the shame, by refusing to go back into her prison of shame, by refusing to live in solitary confinement one more day, and by embarrassing herself in front of a crowd, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Daughter, you're my family. You are now set in the family of God. You are now back into community. Because you know what? Otherwise, she would never have been able to be in community. Jesus calling her community set her, or daughter set her right back into society. So guess what she did? She went skipping out of that crowd. She was high-fiving people as she left. She's hugging people. A woman, think about this. Oh, she probably hasn't been touched, hasn't been hugged, hasn't been cared for, hasn't been loved. In one moment, with one word, Jesus changes her past and gives her a future and says, daughter, you're in my family. You're my daughter. You have a future. You're not your past. But she had to name it. She had to name it. And I know it's hard, and I know it's not fun, and I know nobody in this room wants to do it, and you're all sitting there going, crap. I got some stuff to name. Yeah, you do. We all do. Because I think all of us, to an extent, live with that lie, that I'm my past. That thing that I did, that thing that happened to me, that stuff that I struggle with, that's just who I am. Can I tell you something? That shame talking. That's not Jesus talking. You know how Jesus talks? He goes, hey, son, I know you struggle with that, but today's your day. You name it. You get over it. The moment you name something, isn't it, it, isn't it interesting? It loses its power. Hiding seems more powerful, but it's not. The moment you name it and you confess it, Jesus is able to release you into what he has for you. But the problem is this. We want to conceal it. Jesus can't heal what we conceal. He can't heal what we conceal. He can't. And so he's so gracious and he's a gentleman and he waits and he's patient, isn't he? He waits for you. He leads you. He sets up a lot of opportunities. He, he, he gives preachers a lot of messages. He somehow highlights certain things in the word and he puts you in the right small group and he puts you around someone who iron sharpens iron and they keep bringing it up and he's good and he's patient. He's long-suffering. But he won't be satisfied until we are released from the prison of shame that we have allowed ourselves to live in far too long that Jesus went to the cross to die for. He can't heal what we conceal. But this is the human condition. Think about Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember Adam and Eve after they sinned? What did they do? They hid. They hid from the presence of God because of shame. This is not new. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Isn't it true? We're doing the same thing that the first woman and the first man did in the garden. The moment that they disobeyed God, the moment that they found themselves in shame, is the first response and the default response and action was to hide. And God calls him. Remember, this is God. Where are you? As if he doesn't know. That's how God talks to us. He goes, hey, what you doing? As he can see you. I mean, the, cra the craziest, scariest verse in the whole Bible is that he watches me when I sleep. I'm like, why? So creepy, but awesome all at the same time. But he says, what are you doing? Why are you thinking that way? Why are you talking like that? Why do you believe that? Why are you doing that? Why are you treating your spouse like that? Why are you looking at that? 
Why are you acting like that? Why are you doing that? Why? That's how God talks to us. And he's waiting for you to go. And you name it. God wants to heal all the areas of your heart, the hidden spots, the stuff that maybe you've never expressed and shared to anyone. God already went to the cross for it. I love this. Jesus can't love you any more or any less than he already does. So whether you told him something that you think will terrify him, no, it won't. doesn't surprise him. He already knows. He was there when it happened. If he can watch you when he sleeps, he can watch you do those other things too. I should put the fear of the Lord in you. But he can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. And what he's doing is just like what he did with the woman, the issue of blood. He's going to call you out of hiding. And he's going to give you your right name and your right identity and your right future. And he's going to set you on the path that he has for you. Adam and Eve might have hid and we might hide, but today is the day that we come out of hiding. Who feels like hiding is exhausting? Covering shame is exhausting. You know what's freeing? You know what's awesome? You know what's full of joy? Being released from it. There's nothing better than freedom. There's just nothing better than it. I can't imagine someone being in solitary confinement in prison and getting a taste of freedom and wanting to go back. God is giving you freedom. He is giving you an opportunity to come out of hiding. You got to name it. You got to stop identifying. You got to call it the lie that it is. And you got to start speaking the truth of God's word over your life. But I promise you this you will then walk in freedom. Shame will try to tell you who you are, and you will believe it. Jesus comes to tell you who you are so you can believe it. But you have to move into your future. Jesus comes to call you by your future name. It's a son. It's a daughter. He is so proud of you and he loves you and he has plans for your life. Jesus wants you today to be healed. Honesty, though, is the key, isn't it? We're only as free to the degree that we're honest. Have you ever felt that in a relationship? Have you ever, like, concealed parts? You're like, ah, this feels weird because I'm not telling the full truth. It's funny to me how people think lying is only, um, like, if you blatantly, like, you're a pathological liar. Like, that's what we've told ourselves. Telling half-truths is lying. Someone in their marriage needed to hear that this morning. You're welcome. Telling half-truths is lying. You got to tell the full truth. The whole truth. There's there's no half of a whole. There's just You're just going to be whole. That's not trying to... He, he wants you to step into wholeness, but there has to be honesty. And you gotta have some honesty with God. But you know what hinders us the most in following Jesus and moving forward and thinking right, living right, living right in community is often our, our fear of being honest. And I know we've been here before. Maybe you've done this before and you've been vulnerable with the wrong person. I think we've all, we could all probably say at one moment or one time, someone didn't maybe, we were vulnerable with them, we were trying to name something, we were trying to get free and get some help, and someone maybe didn't respond the right way. I I understand that, but that shouldn't deter you from getting free. Now, I think as a community, and we're going to read this passage in James, I think the community and the church is built for us to have that safety with each other. So I think there's two things we got to do this week. It's like two takeaways. First, we need to be a community that allows people to be vulnerable with us and we're safe. Like loose lips 
sink ships, don't be that person. Come on, if somebody comes to you with vulnerability, that is not juicy information for you. They're coming to you because they need to be free. So we are gonna be a community that allows people to come. Maybe your spouse has been waiting, but you have been such a bad response to them in the past towards their vulnerability. Let them come to you this week. Hey, small group leader or, or friend, maybe you've had a friend in here who's been trying to talk to you about something, but you, but you make them feel more shame. No, 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 that's not the kind of community we're gonna be. We're gonna be a community that allows space and opportunity for people to come to us. This is what James tells us in James chapter five. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. I bet you I can, I can, I can bank my life on it. Somebody in this room today came in with suffering. This is, this, James 5 is telling us what it means to be in the church and in community. There's always gonna be someone suffering. The response in James is to say, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? I bet you there's someone walked in really cheerful today. Someone was really excited. He says, let him sing praise. This is the paradox of community and church. You can have a birth and a funeral in the same day. You could have a wedding celebration and somebody signing their divorce papers. That's community. That's the sad reality of what it means to be human. However, we're in it together. We're in it together. So if someone's suffering, let him pray. If someone's cheerful, let him praise. Is anyone among you sick? Somebody came in sick in their body. Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And, pray, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, I bet somebody walked in with some sins this morning, AKA all of us. He will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is community. Confess your sins one to another and then pray for one another. So maybe, Maybe you need to go to someone this week and you need to name your shame. Maybe this is the takeaway. You gotta name your shame to someone and then you pray with someone. You pray healing, you pray future. And man, if somebody comes to you, this is what you pray. First of all, you tell them, oh man, God loves you. Thank you for the courage that it took to come to me and say this. God's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you so much. Do you know the Romans says that yet while you were still sinning, Christ died for you? Did you know that? He loves you with an everlasting love. His love never changes. It's the same. It can't get any better or weaker because he just, he has this crazy love for you. And your future is so bright. Do you know that God's already in your future and it's already set and it's so good and he has named you into his future and he doesn't call you a half member, but a full member. You're a son or you're a daughter and you are built into his kingdom and into his future. So don't, I know that thing has been trying to keep you in prison no more. In fact, I'll help keep you accountable. I will be your accountability partner. I will pray with you every day. I will be with you. If you feel struggle, text me, call me. I'll be with you. That's what community looks like. Why? Because Jesus didn't go to the cross so you could live in shame another day, another hour, another minute, another second. Whoo, he loves you with an everlasting love. And he says, I know friend, I know it's hard, but you gotta name that. And you will find yourself, the moment you name it is the moment you get to take the next step into your future. 
as a son or a daughter of the king. And when you're God, if you're the king's son or daughter, you are set. You've been living with the wrong identity. You've been nameless and hopeless too long. And today Jesus says, I am calling you out and giving you your right name. Amen, church. Would you stand with me? The greatest miracle of Luke chapter 8 is not her healing. It's her wholeness. God, God wants to heal your body. He wants to heal your marriage. He wants to heal your mind. He wants to do all those things. But the greatest miracle of this text is wholeness, completeness, flourishing, fullness, abundance. All the things that God has would be flowing in and through you. That's the greatest miracle. Don't go after just a healing. Don't go after just getting saved or just coming to church every week or just getting by. Go after wholeness. Go after all that God has for you. Whew, that's a way better life. It's so much more fulfilling, isn't it? When you can live knowing I am no longer bound, I don't have to hide anymore, I don't have to pretend, I don't have to come to church with this mask on and then go back to who I really am. No, no, no. Who you really are is in God's family. Who you really are is a redeemed person. You are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You are a son. And today Jesus says, son, I'm not mad at you. Stop. Come into the family. Daughter, I'm not disappointed in you. I don't think about those things. What does Jesus say? I have removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't rehearse it. Guess who does? We do. And today is our day to get free and to walk into the wholeness and our identity in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me today?